Well, this morning, if you would turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 22, uh, my text for this morning is going to be verses 31 through 34. Uh, we are going to look at much of this chapter just uh, as way as opportunity for uh, to give you the context uh, of this particular passage of Scripture. But the title of my message this morning is Satan is sifting, yet Christ is lifting. Satan is sifting, yet Christ is lifting. Let me give you some strategies uh, of what Satan is doing. And, and let me break it up in, into these two categories of some of Satan's strategies. Uh, he has a strategy of how he was going to destroy the lives of unbelievers. And then he has strategies uh, as way as how he's going to try to derail or shipwreck the believer. Let me just give you five each. First of all, with the unbeliever, Satan is continually attempting to blind the mind of the lost lest they should believe in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is found in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Along with that thought in Luke, or rather Matthew 13, 9, you could turn to Luke 8 if you wanted to there as well, but he is attempting to snatch the gospel of Jesus Christ out of the heart and mind of those that would potentially come to know Christ. And I believe that I personally experienced that when I was an unbeliever. I had a young man in boot camp come and witness to me and share the gospel with me. I remember what he said pre previously or prior to uh, him sharing the gospel with me, and I remember what he said after that, but I don't remember what happened in between because I believe Satan goes and attempts to steal the gospel out of the heart and mind of the unbeliever. Thirdly, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 25 and 26, he takes captive the lost. In 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 14, he masquerades as an angel of light. How many of you know that many of the major religions of today, they'll say, well, I came to the conclusion of the doctrine of our church because an angel appeared to me. He masquerades as an angel of light. And he is deceiving, fifthly, the mind of the lost. Revelation 12, 9, Matthew 13, 25 and following. Now, Satan also has strategies for the believer. First of all, according to Luke 4, 6 and following, we see Jesus being tempted by Satan. And the temptation in this particular context is Satan wanting Jesus to commit idolatry. I'll give you all of these lands if you'll but worship me. And we see scattered throughout the epistles and uh, all of the passages of Scripture in God's Word where Satan would love for the believer to commit idolatry. He desires, according to Acts 5, verses 1 through 5 there, to cause the believer to sin. In that same passage of Scripture, he desires for the believer to be in disunity and discord among the brethren. Fourthly, he hinders the work of God in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 18. And then for sake of our context of our passage of Scripture that we're going to look at, he desires, Satan does, to sift us as wheat, according to Luke 22 and verse 31. Now that takes us to that chapter in Luke 22 this morning. Let me give you a quick context of what is happening here 
uh, will follow along with me just quickly. First of all, in verses 1 through 6 in Luke chapter 22, we see the plot to kill Christ. In verses 7 through 13, here we see the preparation for Passover. Peter and John are sent by Jesus to prepare the Passover. We see the procedure of the Passover, what was taking place during the Passover time, verses 14 through 20, 24 through 30, 35 through 38, some of the conversation that took place during that Passover meal. During that time, in verses 21 through 23, we have the first prediction at Passover. This is where um, Christ is going to be betrayed. He pronounced or predicts his betrayal. Fifthly, we see the second prediction, and this brings into context what we're going to look at with the past of Scripture, verses 31 through 34. We have the second prediction, and that is Peter's denial of Christ. And then finally, verses 39 through 46, we have uh, the prayer following Passover, and from there, uh, the events proceed. And so let's read Luke 22, 31 through 34. We'll open again in prayer, and then we will take this passage of Scripture and break it down for you this morning. In verse 31, the Word of God says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Christ says, But I have prayed for you, I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted... When you are restored, Peter, he says, I want you to strengthen my brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice or three times deny that thou knowest me. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we are so grateful today for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you warn us in your word of a very common enemy that each and every one of us that claim the name of Jesus Christ have. And that enemy, Lord, seeks to derail us. He seeks to destroy us. He seeks to defeat us. He seeks to devour us. And God, as your people, we cannot be a people that just stick our head in the sand or pretend that, that we're not in this spiritual battle or even that Satan no longer has the same power as he did during your earthly ministry. God, we cannot walk like that. We cannot think like that. We must look at the Scriptures and fear you first and foremost, but respect God our enemy. Help us. Help us, Lord, as we look at the Word of God today to be prepared, to be armed, to stand for you and your power and your glory. And then, God, when we do fail, because it's inevitable, there will be times that we fail. God, we know that your desire is to restore us, renew us, Lord, and help us to walk for you again. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have six thoughts for you this morning, but we're going to basically focus and tune in to the first four, uh, and then we'll conclude our message. Uh, 
shouldn't have probably used that word so early in the sermon, the word conclude, that usually causes people to be derailed right there. Let's look at the scripture again, starting in verse 31. The scripture says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. My first point this morning, as we look at verse 40, 31, we see a passionate warning from our Savior. We see a passionate warning from Christ. Let's look at that verse again a little closer. The Lord said, He says, Simon, Simon. I want you to observe, first of all, that he comes to Simon, who he'd already renamed Peter, and he repeats his name twice. Now, those of you here today that have children or grandchildren, you know there's a time that you look at your children and you're like, hey, Mark, Lee. Several heads went up when I said that. Obviously, there's a lot of Marks in this church. Oh, I hear my mom, and she would call upon me, and she'd say, Mark Lee! Oh, I know something was up. There was a warning coming. Something was happening. And I think the same thing here with Christ. He's saying, Simon, Simon! He's repeating his name. And not only is he repeating his name, but he's reverting back to his old name. And I think to get the emphasis, hey, Simon, don't act like Simon. Act like Peter. Be a man. But Simon... Satan desires to have you. Not only does he repeat his name twice, not only does he revert back to using his old name to get his attention, but I think he also uses the word behold. He says, Simon, Simon, he says, behold. The word here is in the imperative. He's saying, listen, pay attention. Pay attention. Be on guard. Be aware. The question that I have for you this morning, even as we just come out of the gates with the Scripture here, how many times through the Word of God, through the Spirit of Christ, does God have to get your attention and call your name? That He's saying to you, hey, there's a warning here. There's something in your life uh, that, that maybe isn't quite right. Satan is desired to have you, that he may sift you. Are you listening as God is speaking to you through His Word? And so we have a passionate warning from the Savior. I thank God that we have a Savior who loves us so much, has so much grace and mercy and love and gentleness that He is saying to you and He is saying to me, there's a real enemy out there. And it's not flesh and blood. It's, it's not the government. Okay, It's not your neighbor. It's not the person sitting in the pew with you. It's not your co-worker. They're not your enemy. Satan. Satan is your enemy. He desires to devour you, but our Savior, our Savior takes time out of His Word, and He says to you, and He's speaking to me as well, hey, there's a real enemy. Behold, He desires, and as much as He desires to sift Peter, is the same desire that He has to sift us. Secondly, not only do we have a passionate warning from the Savior, but secondly, in verse 31, we have the petition of Satan. It says again, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. He says, behold, what? Satan has desired to have you. Satan has desired to have you. What we learn from this part of the Scripture is this. Number one, we see the person and plan of Satan, we see his person, don't we? 
Now we know, and you guys know this, that when you look at the Old Testament scriptures and you see the various names of God, the various names of our Heavenly Father, we, we get a deeper understanding of who He is by understanding His names. And the same is true for Satan. Satan has several different names. He's Satan, Lucifer, the devil, a roaring lion. He's got several different titles and expressions of, of who he is. And so we learn a little bit more about Satan when we discover what his name means. The word Satan simply means adversary or enemy. And so when we learn that, we understand he's not our friend. He's, he's in it to destroy us. He is our enemy. And so we learn about his person. We learn about his person through his name, and his name simply means adversary or enemy. Secondly, we, we understand his plan. The scripture again says Satan, that's his person, has what? Desired to have you. The word desired there simply means to ask for. So at some point prior to this meeting between Jesus and Simon Peter, Satan had petitioned the Father that he'll have authority over the life of Simon. He desires to ask for, to demand, to have the right to something. Isn't it a joy, isn't it a wonderful joy to know that we are in the hands of Jesus Christ? But we do have a mortal enemy. We do have an enemy from time to time who is going to petition the Father. And according to the Father's will, He'll allow Satan to sift us from time to time. But Satan has not dominion over us. He's got to get power from the Father. He's got to get authority from the Father to do anything to us. Think about the life of Job for just a moment. Satan didn't have power over Job until God allowed it to happen. And even when God allowed that authority to happen in the life of Job, it was but for a time and for a season. And then he even had certain safeguards. God said, hey, you can do what you wish, but you can't take his life. And boy, did Satan pour out his wrath on Job. And so we see the person, we see the plan, and that same plan, that same person, our enemy, from time to time is going to petition the Father that he can have for a time dominion over you. Part of that plan, the first part is that he desires, he's, he's asking, and then what is he asking to do? The scripture says that he may what? Sift you as wheat. The word sift there is just simply the, the winnowing process. And you're probably familiar with this. You've got a basket and you just take all the grain. And inside that grain, you're going to have chaff, you're going to have tares, you're going to have dirt, you're going to have debris, and you shake it. And it, the, the good stuff will pour out all over the floor and the bad stuff just stays inside that basket. So you've got the chaff and the dirt and the grime and the tares and that is just thrown out. And that's the picture that we're seeing here. He's desiring, I believe, as we look at the Scripture, we'll see the prayer of Christ in just a moment. He's desiring to sift Peter in such a way that his faith fails. And he's destroyed, he's despondent, he's devoured. D.L. Moody said this, and if you want to, you can turn to 1 Peter 5.8. We're going to take a moment there. D.L. Moody said this about the sifting of Satan. He says, you can rest assured... 
that Satan is determined to destroy your life, your marriage, your family, your testimony, and your ministry. There is no one beyond the reach of the tempter. Keep that in mind, D.L. Moody says. Life may run smoothly for a while, but the testing time is coming. It's not if Satan is going to try to sift you. It's simply when. It's a guarantee. So let's take a moment. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Get a little bit closer look at Satan and his strategy for our lives. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. I know that you are familiar with this passage of Scripture, but maybe let's look at it this morning with some fresh eyes, shall we? 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, we first of all have a command. The command is this, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let's break this up into two points here. 1 Peter 5, 8. First of all, we have a command from Christ, if you will. And then secondly, we see a very aggressive adversary. The command is to be sober. The command is to be vigilant. It means to be aware. It means to always watch, to be attentive, to stay awake. When we were in boot camp, our drill instructors taught us that typically our enemy, whatever enemy, whatever country that may be at that time, that they will on guard, stay on guard for about 30 minutes before they fall asleep or distracted by something. So if we know where our enemy is, and we know that we've got about a 30-minute window, we'll just sit there and wait, and then at some point we can encroach upon the enemy and destroy them. And that's what Satan is looking for, you and me, to let our guard down, to no longer be watching or aware of what is going on. Here's a practical uh, illustration, if you will. I was in boot camp. And uh, we're in second phase, which means we go out in the field. We're in California. It's dusty. It's dry. The ground is hard as a rock. And we were being taught that when we're, when we're digging foxholes, okay, uh, then what we had to do is one person had to get down in a prone position. I won't do that this morning because I probably won't get back up. And uh, we'd get down in the prone position, and we'd be on guard while our tent buddy is digging that hole. So I was down there, and I'm looking out over this beautiful valley, and the guy behind me is digging a hole. I found a spot where my Kevlar helmet would fit right perfectly on the edge of my M16. I'm telling you, it was five seconds flat. I was passed out. Oh, man, I was so tired. And I hear behind me, Recruit Stugamore! I'm going to tell you something right now. I had never gotten up so fast in my life. I sprung up. If this is my drill instructor standing right here, I hopped up. I literally ran around him like this, like Gomer Pyle, came to attention and said, yes, sir, yes, sir. He said, are you sleeping? No, sir. Now, listen, I wasn't a Christian then, okay? I don't know. Even if I had been a Christian, I might have said no, sir. Don't quote me on that, though. Oh, man, I was so scared. And he was just a little bitty fella too, but man, he scared the fire out of me. And he said, are you, are you sleeping? No, sir. Then why didn't you answer me when I was calling your name? I don't know, sir. I was so scared. 
But you know what? That's what we do. We get a position in life. We forget to watch. We forget to pray. We forget to be aware. We get some philosophy in our head. Like I've, I've heard people throughout times of ministry hear them say, man, Satan isn't working as powerfully as he used to during Christ's time. Folks, that's not true. We, we get this philosophy in our head that he's no longer working that way. We fall asleep, we, we get lured into the things of the world, the activities of life and work and those kinds of things, and, and we're just simply no longer aware. And God is calling you through Christ, Simon, Simon, behold. He's saying to you, just fill in the blank, Mark, Mark, behold, be aware. And the scripture says here in 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be vigilant. Be sober. And why? Because we have an aggressive adversary. And we see his person again here, don't we? A little bit more of a picture. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. There's that word, your enemy. But he uses a different title, doesn't he? The scripture. The word devil means to be a slanderer, a false accuser. Let me take you quickly. You don't have to turn there, but let me take you to Revelation Chapter 12 and, and verse 10, just kind of get a picture of what Satan is doing. In Revelation 12 and verse 10, the scripture says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And sometimes we get the picture that, that Satan is like in this service right now. Now, Satan's primary function and purpose is in the presence of God. He's in the presence of God right now. He is commanding his armies, which his armies are, are very organized and structured, rank-wise from top to bottom. If you look at the scriptures that deal with the principalities and powers of the air, their military terms are talking about there's commanders and there's uh, there's generals and commanders and there's gunny sergeants and staff sergeants and sergeants and privates all the way down. And this, this if you can say, a, a wonderful organized army. Can I say that? Not a wonderful army, but its, its structure is beautifully laid out. It's very powerful. And Satan is up there in the presence of God and he is accusing the brethren, the scripture says in Revelation 12 and verse 10, day and night. And we need to stop and we need to pause there as we think about uh, this person, the devil, a slander. He's a false accuser. You know, you know what he's going to do? He's, he's going to falsely accuse you in your marriages. He's going to, from time to time, he's going to say to the husband, she doesn't love you. If she'd love you, she'd fill in the blank. He doesn't love you. He doesn't respect you. He doesn't honor you. He's, this marriage isn't worth it. He'll speak to her ear. And that offense will get in there. And all of a sudden, you're offended to your spouse and your spouse is offended to you because Satan is dropping those thoughts in your mind. He casts those thoughts. And I, I firmly believe as I look at the Scripture that for the believer, Satan cannot indwell the believer. But I believe that he can oppress the believer. And I believe that he can drop thoughts of accusation within the mind of the believer and he's going to try to destroy your marriage. He's going to try to destroy relationships. I've seen it happen so many times in the ministry where within the body of Christ you've got this, this couple of friends 
and they're great friends. And for some reason, some absurd reason, this relationship dissolves into nothing because some false slandering accusation comes to the surface. It's a spiritual battle that we are in. He casts these thoughts in there. And so his goal is to destroy marriages. His goal is to destroy relationships. His goal is to destroy the local church and the ministry of the local church through slander and through false accusations. And so we've got to be on guard, folks. When you hear something, you know, oftentimes, and I think I said this the last time I spoke, we're going to try to gift wrap slander into something that's a prayer request. Just take some, you know, you got the box, you got the present inside. It's really slander. It's really something devilish. But it's gift wrapped in something that's a prayer request, or it's gift wrapped in concern, or it's gift wrapped in this. But really, the source of it is slander. And where does that source come from? From Satan who's an accuser of the brethren. And he's cast down in Revelation 12 and verse 10. And so we get a picture of who he is. So we, we see this aggressive adversary. He, we see his person. He's the devil. Now, let me, let me just say this, and you can do your homework this afternoon. We learn more about our adversary. We don't have to take time this morning to, to, to really look at it, but you can take your time this afternoon and study these four descriptions or um, titles or names of Satan in Revelation chapter 20. Let me just read here, verses 1 and 2 says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that's one title for him, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. So just jot that down. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2. Take some time this afternoon and study those names. You'll learn even more who the person of Satan is. And then the scripture says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant. That's the command. Your adversary, the devil, we, we learn again his plan and his purpose and his person. And it says, then we get a picture of who Satan is. He says, as, or you can insert the word like. He is like a roaring lion. He walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The word, here we see the roaring lion. So the, the scripture gives us an understanding of what he's doing. When we think about a roaring lion, you think about uh, a creature that's powerful, that's ferocious, he's sly, and he's extremely cunning. And so we have the picture of this roaring lion. And my understanding is this is that when a lion roars, you know, sound travels upward. And when you, when you hear sound, oftentimes, unless you're getting old and your ears like mine are beginning to go, you can't quite distinguish where, you know, you go hunting and you're up in a tree and you hear something walking in the woods and the older you get, it's like, where is that coming from, you know? And, but my understanding with a, a lion, he doesn't roar upwards, he, he roars downwards. Reason being, when he does that, you can't decipher exactly where he's at and where he's coming and what he's doing. And so as a roaring lion, that's what he's doing. And so we have a picture of who he is. What's his purpose? It's threefold. Number one, he's walking about. He's looking for opportunity to attack. He's looking for us to drop our guard. 
He's seeking, the Scripture says. That means to plot against, to strive after, and then finally to devour, to drink down, to gulp, to destroy. And so our adversary, the devil, the slanderer, what is he doing? He's looking for opportunity when you let your guard down to destroy you and ultimately to devour you and your testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Luke chapter 22 this morning. Luke chapter 22. Let me read that passage again. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. He says, Satan has desired to have you that he may what? Sift you as wheat. Sift you as wheat. Let me just give you a couple tidbits of application here so far. First of all, this. The fact that Satan comes to the Lord to demand or request proves he is powerless outside of what God allows him to do. Satan is powerless outside of what God allows him to do. And let me say this secondly. Satan is desiring to sift you, to destroy you, God, however, is using it to protect, to mold, and to mature you. And so you could conclude this. Satan desires to sift you as a thing of evil and destruction, but God ultimately uses it for his good. So Satan uses sifting as an evil instrument in your life. Yet God is using it in the area to perfect you and to mold you. I read this in my devotions not long ago. It was was a fresh reminder. I jotted the note down this morning. Listen to 1 Peter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh, he? he ceased from sin. He ceased from practicing sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh and the lusts of men, but to do the will of God. Now when we suffer in the flesh, it could be at the hands of somebody else, but ultimately it's Satan. But when Satan is trying to sift you, to break you, to defeat you, he's using it to destroy you. But God is using it to protect you and to um, provide for you an opportunity for maturity in Christ Jesus. My third point is this. We see in verse 32 of Luke 22, we see the prayer of our Savior, don't we? In verse 22, it says this, it says, But I have prayed for thee. Man, knowing the full scope of what is happening in this passage of Scripture, to hear those words, Hey, Satan, I mean, Simon, wake up, be alert. This is Satan's plan. This is who he is. This is what he wants from, for you. But I've prayed for you. So Christ is on the right hand of the Father and one of His holy functions is intercessory prayer. You can look these up this afternoon if you'd like. John 17, 20 through 22. We see that is really the Lord's prayer. He prays for His own presently, but in that passage of Scripture, He prays for those who will believe. Intercessory prayer in Romans 8 and verse 34. 
intercessory prayer in Hebrews 17 and verse 25, and I'll read that passage to you. Hebrews 17. You know what? I've done that every time I've preached this message. It's not Hebrews 17. There's not even 17 chapters in Hebrews. I just added like five chapters to the Scripture. Um, Marcus. Oh, I know what it is. It's Hebrews 7, verse 25. Pastor Varner never makes mistakes, does he? <laughs> Hebrews 7 and verse 25. All right, here we go. Verse 25 of Hebrews 7. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Let's stop and let's, let's just talk about this for just a moment. We have a Savior who is in heaven on the right hand of the Father. And part of His function is to intercede on behalf of the believer. The picture is this. We see according to Revelation 12 and verse 10, what is Satan doing? He's accusing the brethren day and night. According to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, Jesus Christ is our advocate. And He's advocating on behalf of the believer. And Satan is saying of you and He's saying of me, look what that boy, or look at that girl, or look at that man, look at that woman, or look at that person that calls upon your name. Look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. They're defiling your name. They're ruining their testimony. They're living like the world. They should be cast into hell. And Christ is advocating on behalf of us. And He's saying, no, Father, that one is mine. That one is mine. He is covered, she is covered in my blood atonement. He intercedes on our behalf concerning Satan. One author said this, he said, Surely there are many times that we would have perished, but Jesus prayed for us and He protected us. I like what one author said as well. He said, wow! He said, the purpose of Christ praying for us is that our faith may not fail. What would happen to our faith if He were not continually interceding for us? The implication of this verse is that our faith would fail. Read the Scripture with me again. Christ says, But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. He doesn't say, I'm praying for you, that this inevitable attack on your life will just disappear. He doesn't say, I'm just going to take it away. No, He says, Hey, in essence, you're going to go through this, Peter. But I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail. I can tell you in 20 plus years of ministry, if it has not been for the interceding, advocating of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, I would not be here today. You would not be here today. You would not be serving Christ today without the intercessory prayer of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But then... Fourthly, and technically, finally, even though I have verses five or my fifth and sixth points, we see the plan of our Savior in verse 32. 
But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He says, and when thou art converted... Now, we're not talking about salvation because Peter already knows the Lord. He's talking about restoration. When you are restored, when you've come back to yourself, Peter, when you're back on the right track, he says, strengthen thy brethren. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Let's look at how horribly Peter failed the Lord. Matthew chapter 26, 71 through 75. We know Peter's response was, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. Okay, And I'm sure that we've said those things before. Jesus predicts that he's going to fail, he's going to deny him. And in verse 71, listen to this. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, Matthew 26 and verse 71, and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath. I don't know the man. And after he came unto him, they that stood by and said to Peter, He said, Surely you were with him. You were one of them. And then Peter says, in verse 74, he says, Then began he to curse and to swear. Now, some people, I've heard it before, and you probably know what this means, but some people say, well, he began to take, you know, he began to use four-letter cuss words. That's not what it means. The, the idea here between curse and swear is this. And I don't like saying this. I don't usually use it in my vernacular, my language, my words, or anything like that. But literally, what's, what Jesus, what Peter is saying is, I swear to God, I do not know Jesus, and if I do, I hope to die. He's swearing on the name of God. In other words, in one sense, he's taking God's name in vain. He's lying. He's using it in a way that is dishonoring to the Lord. And he's saying, I, I swear to God, I don't know who Jesus is. Can you imagine being where Peter's at right now? Can you imagine the, how he, the, the failure that he feels? Here's the icing on the cake. Luke 22 and verse 60, listen to this. As soon as he says that, the scripture goes on to say, And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. So at that very moment when he says, I swear to God, I don't know who this man is. And, and if I do know him, I hope that God destroys me. And at that moment, he locks eyes with Jesus. I think about that, and I think about what, what Peter must have felt. Just utter failure. I, just moments ago, I swore I'd go to jail for this man. I swore I'd die for him. And now I'm swearing in God's name, I don't know Him. And then they lock eyes. And the Scripture says this, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered what the word of the Lord, and how that He said unto him before the cock crow, that thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out, and what did he do? He wept bitterly. He failed, didn't he? He miserably failed. You've been there, haven't you? 
in your walk in Christ? Because I know I have. There have been times in my life that I have absolutely failed God. In my heart, my mind, my motive, my purpose, my goal. We have all failed the Lord. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. He says, when thou art converted, he says, strengthen your brethren. He says, Peter, I want to keep using you. And that's what he says to you and that's what he says to me. And maybe today, maybe in this very moment in your life, maybe you're not living for Christ at the workplace like you should be. Maybe you're not living for Christ just daily walking with Him. Maybe you've ruined your testimony. You know what God says? I want to restore you, and I want to keep using you. You know what? I find a lot of hope in this passage of Scripture personally. Because there's been a time in my life, I didn't want to serve the Lord anymore. I was done. I had 10 years as a senior pastor. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of the bickering, the whining, the complaining, the fleshliness. You preach a message, you spend 8, 10 hours on a message, and people are sinning before they even hit the back door. You get sick of it. I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of this. You ever give a gift to your child or your grandchild? Man, it's the greatest gift in the world. And you give it to them and they're like, "Mm, can I take it to Goodwill? You know? And I mean, it's disappointing. It's like, man, I, I just, I poured thought into this. And when God calls you into ministry, when God calls you to do something, And you say, I don't want to do this anymore. You're looking at God and you're saying, I don't desire your gift. There was a time in my life where I think I could feel what Peter felt. I failed the Lord. And Satan used that in my life. He kept saying to me, Mark, your motives are wrong. Your heart's wrong. Your intent's wrong. You failed. You couldn't grow a church. Couldn't do this. Couldn't do that. And you stand at the Bema Seat of Christ You're going to lose it all. I kept hearing that in my mind. God brought this passage of Scripture to my mind one day. And I read it. And it dawned on me one day. Satan desires to sift us. We have an intercessory Lord who is interceding on our behalf. He knows and he knew Peter was going to fail him. But he said, Peter, I still have a plan for you. I still have a purpose for you. And all you have to do is read the first eight chapters of the book of Acts and see what God was doing in the life of Peter. As he, what? He led the church. He preached the word of God. He strengthened the brethren. And now we can use our failures. Not that God desires for us to fail, but we can use those to what? Strengthen the brethren. You can sit down with somebody and say, you know what? There's a time in my life that I failed God. But let me tell you, God never failed me. And I can attest, after being out of vocational ministry for the last two, two and a half years, I can say this. I can say this with all my heart. God can heal you.
God can restore you. I got that phone call last March from Varner. And I'll call him that from time to time. If it's supposed to be Pastor Mark Varner, I apologize. But he calls me all kinds of other names. Good ones, I suppose. You know, men, who here likes mowing grass? Really? I love mowing grass. I get on the lawnmower and my mind is just at peace with the world. And I would get on that lawnmower and I'd be mowing grass and I'd weed eat and I'd do this and that. And the thought of going back into ministry just made me physically sick and ill. And Varner called me and we kind of prayed about it a little bit. Not really. And um, he said, Mark, I just, I really feel the Lord leading you this way. I didn't feel that way. And the more that we prayed about it and things began to kind of open, I really began to see the Lord saying, Mark, I want to use you again. And I can attest to the healing power of our Savior. You may be going through a hard time right now. I have a friend of mine this last week. We buried his wife. She's 48 years old, got cancer a year ago. And we buried her on Thursday. A good friend of ours from the Philippines. You remember the name. They were here not too long ago. Ed and Darlene Weber. I have seen God working in that man's life. Even though his wife took her last breath last Monday, God has been with that man. He is already healing him. And he has told me, he says, Mark, I don't feel like God wants to use me anymore. And I said, Ed, not according to this. Not according to this. Peter ruined, if I can say that, his walk with Christ. He failed the Lord. And Christ said, strengthen that brethren. Those three words speak to me and they say, it's not over with. I want to still use you. So what have we learned this morning, folks? from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to write down the rest of the notes just for the sake, in verse 33, we see the pride of the servant. And my sixth point is we see the prediction of the Savior in verse 34. What have we learned? That we, number one, have a, a Savior who passionately loves us and warns us of the plan of our adversary. We have a Savior who continually prays for us that our faith fail not. And then thirdly, we have a Savior who restores us and desires to use us even when we deny Him and fail Him. And I praise God for that. And I praise God that God uses what Satan desires to sift us, to destroy us for His honor and for His glory. I'm going to close in prayer this morning. Brother Andy, do you need to come? Following or, or somebody? Soon. You guys figure it out. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who heals. We thank you, Lord, that you restore us.
We thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. You never give up on us. We thank you, Lord, for your advocacy, your intercession on our behalf, God. That right now on the right-hand throne of the Father, God, you are interceding for us. And our faith fail not. God, thank you that you passionately warn us of an enemy who desires to destroy us and ruin us through slander, through false accusation. But God, we have a Savior, Lord, who is calling out to us and we can call out to Him. We can come to the throne of grace. God, thank you for those promises. Lord, if there's one here today that is failing you in their walk in Christ, they're bitter, they're angry, they're hurt, God, heal them. Let them know that in the power of your word and the spirit of Christ, God, they can be healed when they submit themselves to you and your will. God, if there is one here today that has failed you, and Lord, they hadn't gotten to the point, Lord, that they feel your presence. Lord, through your scripture, help them to understand that you still desire to use them. Use them not for their own self, for their own sake, but use them, God, for your glory. Encourage them through the Word of God. It's not over. It's not over till that last breath is taken. A God that you desire to restore, to comfort, and to send off again into a place, Lord, where you want to use them for you. Lord, maybe there's one here today that has never come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. My prayer is, God, that they would recognize you as Lord. That one day they'll stand before you, either at the Bema Seat of Christ, but if they're an unsaved, Lord, they'll be at the great white throne. And Lord, you will judge them, and you'll judge them unfit for eternity. And so, Lord, I pray now that they'll give their hearts and their lives to Christ, that they'll call upon Him as Lord and Savior. They'd repent of their sins, putting their full trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this good audience. Thank you, Lord, that they've heard the word of God today. Bless this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.